there any uh, germaphobes in the room this morning? You know, you know who you are, uh, have an aversion uh, to, to germs. There's, there's various degrees of germophobia, I've learned. You know, some of us are like white belts and others are more like third degree black belts, you know, and, and, and you know who you are. Uh, you probably have the full arsenal Uh, You got the Lysol spray, you got the disinfectant wipes, and you've got the travel-sized bottle of sanitizing spray on your person at all times, and no germ is going to catch you off guard, right? Well, I'm thankful for you. Um, I consider myself to be more of like maybe maybe around the green belt, you know, I'm not like a, a total clean freak germaphobe, um, but I do try to at least use common sense, right? And, and, and that's why uh, the very first thing I do on a Sunday afternoon after I get home from church is I make a beeline to the sink, I turn on the hot water, I get some soap, and I wash all the fellowship off my hands. It's very important. Um, if you're someone, you're not quite sure, am I Am I a germaphobe or where am I in this scale? Um, Here's a few questions you can ask yourself that might help you identify. So if you are one who uses your foot to flush the toilet, you might be a germaphobe. No need to raise your hands. It's okay. Um, If you turn the bathroom faucet off with your elbow, you might be a, a germaphobe. And if you carry your cell phone around in a Ziploc bag, you are most definitely uh, a germaphobe. But, you know, the basic premise behind that whole thing is just to understand, we all get this, is that in order to stay healthy, you got to keep clean, right? And, and what's so obvious to us on a physical level also has spiritual implications. It also applies to the spiritual realities that we deal with. Our, our, our lives... Get, get grimed up, not just physically, but spiritually as well, soiled souls. Um, and soiled souls need a clean sweep. And, and that's what uh, Jesus is addressing in the passage we're looking at this morning. We've been um, in a series going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the series is called The Journey. And the journey is just basically of discovering this Jesus, um, that's, that's the whole reason Mark wrote his story, wrote this book to answer that question, who is Jesus? And we're probably about three months into it. So I trust that, uh, that we are coming to know him more, not, not just head knowledge information, uh, but that we're, we're taking what we know and that's resulting in actually knowing him, being in, in tune with his heart and having a personal uh, understanding of him. Uh, and this morning, we are up to Mark chapter 7. Uh, feel free to turn there if you have a Bible with you. And if you don't, you can also just follow along uh, on the screen right behind me. Uh, but this chapter where we're at this morning, this marks the return of the religious leaders. Now, now they have been off the scene um, for the last three chapters, but now they are back again and they are still just as stuck as they were when we saw them last time. They're, they're still struggling to make sense with why this Jesus guy just refuses to fit into the system. He does not fit into that religious grid, the, the grid of rules and, and regulations and rituals. And, and Jesus, 
when he spoke to them last, he compared their grid to this old, worn-out wineskin, something that just couldn't contain the new thing that he was doing. Um, that, that old religious grid couldn't contain the new realities that Jesus cared about. Uh, the two paradigms, um, Jesus' paradigm and the religious paradigm, were utterly incompatible. We've already seen that. We've gotten hints about that. But this morning, things are going to ramp up to a whole new level. And we are going to read about a head-on collision with tradition. Tradition, um, And so there's the controversy about getting clean, about cleanliness. And it showcases for us how diametrically different the, the, the religious grid, this ritual track is, from, from the track and the grid that Jesus came to establish and set up. And, and I hope that this will be helpful for us because we get the chance to see these two paradigms side by side. And that gives us the opportunity to, to look at our own lives and ask ourselves which track, which grid, which paradigm am I traveling on? Have I aligned my life with? Uh, so, so let's jump in. I'm going to read in in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says this. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples are with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So we'll stop here and just unpack this a little bit. The religious leaders are taking note that Jesus' disciples are not conforming to the tradition of the elders. Um, Tradition is something we hear a lot about over the Christmas season, right? We, we, we celebrate so many different traditions, like, like decorating a Christmas tree. That's, that's something our family did uh, the day after Thanksgiving when we still had everybody around in the house. And, and yesterday uh, in our home, there was a lot of Christmas cookie baking going on. Um, we give presents and do all of these different things, traditions that are fun and they're meaningful. And, and back in Jesus' day, in the world that Jesus lived in, it was filled with all kinds of rich religious traditions, rituals that, that symbolize the need to be sanitized from the stain of sin in order to be in fellowship with a holy God. And and, and there's rituals all over the Old Testament. They, they, there were purity laws that kind of wrapped together the physical cleansing that we're familiar with, with, with that deeper need for a spiritual cleansing. And, um, and, and, and I want to just note that, that Jesus doesn't take issue with the need to be clean. Uh, he doesn't argue against the diagnosis that there's something soiled that needs attention and so he isn't going to respond to, to the Pharisees, to their, to their question and say, come on, guys, why are you overreacting? Why are you making such a big deal about a little bit of dirt? That's, that's not where he goes. Um, the problem he has, the controversy arises over the way 
that they chose to deal with this issue. Because instead of addressing the heart realities, they focused on ceremony and rituals. And so that's why as they see the disciples, they call foul. Foul, Jesus, look at what your disciples are doing. They're not washing their hands before they eat. And and of course, that's a good thing to do, right? Do that for sanitary reasons. Don't read this and think, oh, I don't have to wash my hands. No, do that for sanitary reasons. But the Pharisees, they were concerned about it as a ceremonial tradition, a procedure uh, that aligned with what they called the tradition of the elders. Um, That tradition um, was was a body of teaching that applied all of the Old Testament laws to every area of life. They, they tried to fill in all of the spaces where things might just be a little bit gray, where scripture was silent, and they filled it in with, with ceremonies and rituals, with the, with the idea of maintaining purity in each and every conceivable situation. And so you do this ritual before you eat. And that'll make you pure. Follow that formula when you get back home from being out in the market. They had prescriptions for everything you can imagine from, it says in this passage, from cups to to pots to copper vessels and even dining couches. I have no idea what that is, but there was a ritual for dining couches. Um, But behind that, you know, just kind of looking at it as a whole, you could could say, hey, there's there's something kind of attractive about that, you know, It spells it all out. It's all black and white, crystal clear. Just do this, and it'll clean up whatever mess you've gotten yourself into, whatever might have infected you, whatever germs might have gotten on you. Jump through these hoops. Repeat that prayer so many times. Stay away from that food during these days. And whatever it is in this paradigm, it's just about performing the right rituals in the right order, and the end result is you're good. You're, you're good to go. And so that, that track, even though it started back then in the first century, it really is still today a paradigm of choice for many people of reducing devotion to rituals and just doing stuff. So let's keep reading and see how Jesus responds and, and what he says the trouble with tradition is. He says this, Uh, He said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, which interpreted is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. All right, so let's just stop and say this because we are seven chapters into Mark and this is a side of Jesus that we haven't seen up to this point. All right, so maybe there's some updating that needs to be done because if the image in your mind is this gentle Jesus 
carrying a lamb in his arms with this big smile and blue eyes and olive skin, right? Let's update that one. We, we're, we're seeing here a very bold, confrontational Christ. And Jesus just got triggered. He, he just raises the intensity up to, to 11 and he is calling the religious leaders out. He calls them hypocrites. He's, he's calling out that there is this glaring disconnect between what's coming out of their lips and what's inside of their hearts. The outside and the inside were just hopelessly out of sync. He says, you honor God with your words, but on the inside, at the heart level, at the deepest level of your life, you're miles away from him. And so the, here we see the first contrast. It's side by side here, this collision with tradition. The outside track versus the inside track. So in this tradition, the religious track is it's obsessed with the outside. And it ignores what's going on in the inside. Wash your hands, clean your cup, perform this ritual, take part in that ceremony. It's all about getting clean from What's out there? That's where the problem is identified. It's not inside, it's outside. And, and what's happening on the inside really doesn't matter that much. The whole structure, it's custom made to turn people into hypocrites. And, and that obsession with the outside, Jesus goes on and says, it's a byproduct of the second point of contrast. Uh, this one's between the commandment of God and the traditions of men. So there's the second trademark of this religious track. It's that it values human tradition more than it does God's commandments. So you could see in this passage that there's a progression in the way that Jesus describes it. First, he accuses them of leaving the commandments of God in order to hold on to the traditions of men. So that's just like a simple first step replacement. You know, let's just move what God says off to the side burner just for a minute. We're not saying it doesn't matter. We're not saying it's not important. Of course it is. But there's something else that also has to get factored into the equation. We, we need to listen to what men say. And they end up holding onto the traditions of men tighter and letting go of God's word and holding on to that just a little bit looser. But in the next sentence, he says that replacing God's word, what it practically results in is, is nothing less than rejecting it. And that's what he says next. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And so you see, there's kind of like a slippery slope, right? You replace first and that turns ultimately in, into rejection. Jesus says, case in point, here's, here's a prime example of that happening. And he points to this commandment, the commandment of God to honor father and mother. Uh, that is one of the big 10, right? The 10 commandments It's commandment number five. But this tradition that the elders came up with, it made provision for a child, an adult child to take what was intended to be used to take care of his parents in their old age you know, they didn't have IRAs and, uh, you know, those kind of retirement plans back then. It was up to the family to take care of the parents. But this tradition made provisions so that could instead be dedicated to God. It sounds so 
good, you know? They even had their own word for it. They called it Corbin. Probably it was set up as an honorable thing to do. Their intentions may have been noble, but what in effect it did was it undermined God's clear instructions. It encouraged, it empowered, it opened the door for people to ignore those that they had been called to honor and to care for. You see, that's just one example of what happens when human traditions start usurping God's commandments. And one of the, one of the questions I get very often, particularly uh, living and ministering in this part of the country that we're in, is people ask this question, What's the difference between what your church believes, uh, what the Christian church is about, and, and what the Roman Catholic religion believes? And, and, and that's, that's a really big question that could take hours to answer. Um, I would start out by saying there's a lot of similarities for which I'm very thankful for. You know, the, the commitment to the Trinity of, of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the focus on Christ, those are all great things that we share in common, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, one of the major differences is actually highlighted right here in this passage. In the Roman Catholic Church, it claims to maintain the authority of Scripture, right, God's commands, alongside the authority of the tradition, what, what they would say the papal authority or the authoritative teachings of Rome. And you see, that's where things start to get messy. That's where the trouble starts when, when the tradition ends up contradicting the clear commands of scripture. And so when you look at it and you ask, where do things like praying to the saints confessing sins to a priest, reciting Hail Mary prayers. Where does the idea of purgatory or indulgences, where does all that come from? See, none of it's in the Bible. And, and the challenge is that, that those teachings don't complement scripture, they compete with it. And it ends up undermining the clear teachings of scripture the instructions that says there's one mediator between God and man. It's not Mary, it's not St. Peter, it's Jesus. That it's appointed unto man once to die and not to go to purgatory, but then to go to judgment. That, that praying prayers, mindless prayers over and over again doesn't get it done. Faith is not a formula. And so Jesus here in this passage, he makes it crystal clear Here's where the final authority rests. He elevates the commandments of God as the highest, as the ultimate authority. And so it didn't matter what the religious leaders said. It doesn't matter what a bunch of guys say. It doesn't matter what any group of church leaders say. And it doesn't even matter what Pastor Brian tells you. Anytime what someone teaches and what's in the word of God doesn't line up, you toss the teacher you trash the tradition, and you hold fast to God's word. Now, that, that doesn't mean that all tradition is wrong, but what it does mean that it always falls under and not alongside the, the authority of God's word. So Jesus says, this is, this is the trouble with tradition. And after critiquing the, the Pharisees, the, this religious ritual track, he goes on and talks about the track that he came to set up. Let's, 
Let's hear what he has to say. He says, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from without, I'm sorry, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And these things come from within, and they're what defiles a person. It was a very different track that Jesus lays out, and he explains that what goes from the outside in That's not the issue. That's not what to obsess over. And all these rituals, all these ceremonies, all these washings, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were so concerned with wasn't dealing with the root issue. Because he says, basically, he says, whatever comes in from the outside is gonna pass through the digestive system and make its way out the other end. Real simple biology, right? But, But then he says, there's something else that's not getting the attention it needs. There's a problem area and it's on the inside. The problem is not what's out there. The problem is what's already inside that's making its way from the inside out of our lives. That's the issue Jesus says that has to be majored on. The religious leaders were concerned with clean hands, but according to Jesus, the real need is for a clean heart. See, according to him, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And the way you go about dealing with that is completely different. And so he goes there, he points to it, and he points out this root issue is that there is a cesspool on the inside. He describes what resides inside the human heart, not the physical heart, but he's talking about that core to who we are. The truth is it's not a very pretty picture. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. They come from the inside and they make us unclean. That's his diagnosis, that the human heart is an incubator of iniquity. That's the source where the evil attitudes of every form Hatch, whether it be arrogance or murder and everything in between, it all traces back to a root issue inside of us. And and what's important to note is that Jesus isn't just describing some hearts. He's describing my heart. He's describing your heart. And and this this is one of the challenges is, are we aware of our own heart condition? Are we honest about the ugliness that's inside of us and what's going on on the inside? So just imagine for a moment if everything that's going on inside of you 
instantly got projected on this screen behind me over the last 24 hours, got broadcast on the screen behind me for the rest of this room to see. How would you deal with that? Every thought, every desire, every feeling, every attitude. I, I, I don't know about you, but I can tell you that I don't want you to see that. <laughs> there's, some, there's some stuff there. It's not very pretty. There's just way too much garbage in there. And Jesus says, that's the problem. That's what defiles our lives. That's what keeps us from being clean, from being able to approach a God and fellowship with a holy and pure God. And Jesus is getting at is that he came to do something that religious ceremonies and rituals could never do. He came to deal with the root, not just the symptoms, to to address our lives at the heart level. That's his track. His track is to work on our lives from the inside out. His focus is to do what no ritual, no ceremony, no tradition could ever get at. It's to transform us from, not from the outside in, which is what religion does unsuccessfully, but, but from the inside out. And so if you can just imagine that he is there and he is working to take evil thoughts that we all have and, and turn them into righteous thoughts, to take sexual immorality and transform it into sexual morality, to take thievery and transform it into honesty, to, to taking murder, to, to taking that and transforming it to giving life, adultery to fidelity, greed to generosity, maliciousness to graciousness, deceit to transparency, lewdness to honor, envy to grace, slandering to encouragement, arrogant to humble, folly to something fruitful. That's, that's his agenda. And one of the questions is, is, can we say that we're on board with that? Or are we just content to just check off the box of another religious ritual without ever getting to that heart level? Sometimes we say, you know what? The way I am is just the way I am, and I can't change that. And you're right about that, maybe. But what you need to understand is that what you can't change, Jesus can, and he intends to. Jesus intends to mark off the area around our hearts and set it up as his construction zone and do a deep work, a lifelong project that goes deeper. And it's a whole lot slower, but it's a whole lot better than that track of just following religious rituals. It starts off with opening the door and letting him in. Uh, We have a couple of dogs. Uh, We have had dogs in our family for so long, and it seems like every dog has this idea that that they love the smell of things that I cannot stand, Uh, namely like deer excrement that ends up on our backyard. They end up rolling in it, and it is so offensive to me. But to them, I think they think it's a cologne. I, I think they mistake it for some kind of perfume. And, and, you know, I love my dogs, but like you, I cannot coexist with that smell, 
right? That smell is not going to be inside of my house. And my dog does not have the ability or even the desire to wash himself clean, right? Uh, what that means is that it's, it's up to me. When that happens, I, I got to go out, grab the shampoo, take out the garden hose and, and give the dog a bath, Get all of that garbage out of him so he can be clean again, so he and I can live under the same roof in some kind of harmony. That's just a little bit of a picture of what Jesus came to do. He he came to clear and clean an area in our lives that we could never clean ourselves so that we could live our lives in fellowship under the same roof as God. He said, it's the pure in heart who will see God. And there's no ritual, there's no ceremony, there's no list of rules to check off. And the tradition of the elders that can ever purify the heart. Attending church services, reading the Bible, getting baptized, taking communion, staying away from the wrong crowd. None of those things make us pure in heart. There's only one cleansing agent that's strong enough to to penetrate a sin-stained heart. It's the blood of Jesus. It, It took nothing less than Jesus leaving his heavenly throne, rolling up his sleeves, coming down to this earth into this cesspool of a sin-filled world and living that perfect life that you and I have never lived and dying that death on the cross that you and I deserve that, that wasn't for him, but was for us. And it says in Ephesians 2 that now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's what he came to do because a pure heart is not something that we can accomplish on our own. It's not something we work for. It's something Jesus has accomplished for us. It's something he freely offers by faith, by trusting in what he did and receiving it personally. And his blood is strong enough to clean up the filthiest heart. He he did everything that needed to be done so we could be accepted and received in the sight of God. There's nothing left to be done but to receive that cleansing that he came to accomplish. And so that's where it starts, opening up our lives to him, letting him do that work that we could never do ourselves. And so I hope you've seen here that there's this stark contrast between two very different paradigms. The question is, which one are you in? Which one is your life about? It is about obsessing over the outside, making sure everything looks good, but ignoring the inside. Or are you addressing the inside, opening up your life to Jesus and letting him do that? Every one of us are on one of those two tracks. We're either following in the footsteps of the scribes and the Pharisees, walking down that same dead road that they walked on or, or were following Christ and being honest about the garbage that's inside us and opening up that space in our lives to let him do that redeeming work that he does from the inside out. Let's pray.